and welcome to Warren Yara's Yiranyuri. I'm recording from the Gadigal land in the heart of Sydney, Australia. Warren Yara is a Gadigal name meaning to seek, which sums up the mission of our Health Professions Education Research Network here at the University of Sydney. And Yiranyuri means many voices, which our podcast represents. So I'd like to pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging of all the lands on which we're present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. I'm here today with Gillian Nisbet and Tanya Thompson, joint first authors of their paper just published online for Advances in Health Sciences Education. From Burden to Benefit, a multi-site study of the impact of allied health work-based learning placements on patient care quality, co-authored with Sue McAllister, Bernadette Brady, Lauren Christie, Matthew Jennings, Belinda Kenny, and Merrilee Penman. Hello. 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 So, Gillian and Tanya, I, I wonder if we can start off with you guys introducing yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background and the rationale for the research that led to this publication. Thanks, Lynn. So my background, I'm the currently the Director of Partnerships and Placements at the University of Sydney, and part of this role is developing strong partnerships with our allied health student placement providers. And what I'm particularly interested in is where we can achieve mutual benefit, benefit to patient care, benefit to the, the placement educators, benefits to student learning. I guess this research started, from my perspective, we know that allied health placements are a critical component to developing work-ready allied health graduates. And these placements take place in the real world, which is really complex, dynamic healthcare environment. But student placements are often seen as separate from and additional to the core business of delivering quality patient care. And from a university perspective, we seem to be having ongoing problems with placement shortages. And this isn't unique to the University of Sydney. It's a national, even a global problem about being able to place our, our students. But they need this clinical experience to better prepare them or to best prepare them, actually, for the future practice as a qualified allied health professional. So from the university perspective, have this issue of um, shortages of placements, but we know that they're, they're an absolute critical component for developing the future workforce. Thanks, Gillian. And, and Tanya, do you want to um, introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. So I am working as the physiotherapy professional educator across the health district. And really what that involves is myself supporting our clinical teams and departments in how we can improve the facilitation and even development and implementation of education and training programs. And that's for our staff and also our students. So it's a, quite a broad Broad position, but I think really it's around yeah, making sure that our staff and students' education and training needs are met, but then also making sure that we are integrating that education across that continuum as well, and really having you know starting from that undergraduate or student level, and then through throughout the professional into into expertise. I think also. So the problem or I think the concept that we were really struggling with in, in health, and I think this is a common across not only just physiotherapy, but also a lot of allied health.
health disciplines is what Gillian touched on around the demand for clinical placements. And I think, you know, we traditionally we are very supportive and, and you know, very strong advocates for students' um, placements. And from the perspective of that, we view it as we're training our future workforce. So we want to be having our students on board in our clinical environments and in our teams because that's the best way that we can actually be training them to be ready and prepared to enter our workforce and be seeing our patients. But we really we're finding particularly in the last over the last few years is that we're struggling to keep up with the demand of placements and that's because we do have you know there's an increasing volume of students that are coming through but it's also having sustainable placement design and placement models where students can come in and and work in our teams and be efficient and effective as well. We're finding that, you know, with the increases in the demand that we have on our caseload, so that's through purely through numbers of patients coming through, you know, our services, but also their acuity and their complexity is increasing. And also we're having new developments in research and clinical guidelines or best practice that we were really, you know, we we struggle with trying to look at our existing workforce and how can we be adaptable to meet those needs for the patients as well as meeting the needs for, you know, accommodating student placements, but then also looking at how we're supporting our clinicians to be gaining the skills to be really effective educators as well. So I suppose they were the... the um, the things that we really identified within our workforce that we wanted to be focusing on. With our larger program of research, we're exploring how we can actually look at service delivery. How can it be enhanced by redesigning services to more efficiently integrate the students into service delivery? And that idea I mentioned before for mutual benefit for patient health service providers. And this paper that we're talking about today specifically looks at the quality of patient care, that aspect. There are other papers going to look at the student learning and um, the the impact on the, the service providers as well. I think it's fascinating to hear both of you talk because you're there's two different positions here. There's a university problem and then there's the actual healthcare problem. And, you know, I, I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about that tension um, and how that plays out in your research. I think that's that's a that's a good question. I guess we we both came from it from different positions, but we recognize that we've got to do something about this. So it's that partnership approach um, that we might talk on later, really looking at what is our our shared purpose here and then how how can we work together to enact that shared purpose. And I guess with this this project, if you look at the authors on the paper and also the larger project team, we're a combination of clinical educators, service delivery managers, educators, academics, uh, researchers, and this project was co-led between Tanya and myself. So someone from health service delivery, someone from the academic university side. And yes, recognising those tensions, but let's try and do something about it. What could we do differently? And I think with the tensions as well is that because on the surface level, it looks like our priorities are very different, but I think by pulling this together in in through this project and this partnership, I think it was really around highlighting that ultimately, you know, the goal is similar, you know, we do have similar goals underpinning this as well. So, you know, from health, it's around, oh, well, you know, we're, we're too busy to take 
you know, student placements or we find that, you know, they're a burden because there's so much extra work and I've got all this extra caseload to be doing as well and that sometimes there's this pressure to be taking clinical placements, whereas I think once we, you know, through this work and actually working and having both health and university as part of this project is really kind of coming down to that that underpinning that, you know, we were there for very similar reasons. We do want, you know, good outcomes for the patient. We want to make sure that clinical educators are supported um, to be able to do a good job in facilitating that learning and education and that we want the students to have a really good learning experience because, again, that's our, our future workforce. So it was interesting to think that we did have different different competing priorities, but ultimately once we worked through this process, we were able to really pull them together and realise we're actually working towards the same goal. That's fantastic. And I'm really, really impressed with the paper and we'll talk a little bit more about what you did and what you found in a moment, but just can you clarify, we talk about allied healthcare students learning on clinical placements. Which types of healthcare students were they? And what was the limit of their involvement in patient care, you know, prior to your work and and, and during the work? Our ethics application covered all the allied health disciplines that we have in the Faculty of Medicine and Health here. So physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech pathology, exercise physiology, and pharmacy also was was included. Did I miss anything out, Tanya? (laughs) So, but for this project, the the groups of students and the educators that we recruited for the service-free design, which Tanya will explain later, Um, was physiotherapy and occupational therapy students in their senior year of their degree program. So third and fourth year students for the undergraduate program and second year students for the the two-year graduate entry master's program. And it should be pointed out that allied health, for allied health placements, there is an expectation within allied health that students do learn through direct participation in delivery of patient care. However, that can be variable amongst the the disciplines and amongst placement sites and even with individual educators um, sometimes. So a part of this placement was that underlying principle, if you like, that students will learn through participation. So our service-focused placement models would be set up with that in mind that it's that participation that enhances learning. And I think another important factor in that as well is that I think OT and physio had kind of long-standing placement design and agreements as well. So taking students wasn't a new concept for them, but it was really around having a look and a more closer look at the scope of practice of our students as well and how the students were working within the clinical environment and also which was a shift for for clinicians and educators when taking students as well and, and around And I think one of the focus with some of the educators that we worked with was around, well, how can we promote more of that independence and how are we actually promoting more independent practice and what skill set or what particular components of the role could students be actually doing independently with our supervision as well? So I think there was also a shift in the, the role and the scope of the students that we were taking on placement as well, which really supported this this project and this model working. 
And that's really important because allied health students graduate as work-ready autonomous uh, graduates, health professionals. They can set up as a private practitioner. So providing that independence and that opportunity to contribute to service delivery is really important. Yeah, that's very different from a medical student, for example, who continues on into their postgraduate years. It's very, very important to make that definition. I'm really keen for you to get into the next bit about what did you do? So tell us a bit about, you know, the methods you used and and why. I think from from the beginning, I think when we were sort of thinking about how this project would look, I think one of the important things to point out as well is that once it we were looking at different disciplines, so allied health, but different disciplines that work differently. And we also really wanted to include a wide range of clinical settings and different educators involved. And also knowing that you know we were set in hospital settings and that also incorporates acute clinical settings, outpatient services. So there was a few, you know, there was a lot of, I suppose, moving factors in that as well. So when we looked at that, it we kind of came down to that, this, a case study research design was going to best fit with the the outcomes and the targets participants that we were really wanting to include. So the the hospital settings was within a health district in Sydney and incorporated a large tertiary hospital and then two smaller sites as well. And as we Gillian had mentioned with OT and physio students and clinical educators came on board as well. So we moved through three phases of, of this designing this research. So the first the first phase was really, you know, we kind of come up with this sort of big sort of conceptual idea of what our problem, like where we thought we could target and what our aims of the research were. But it was really then putting out, we put out an expression of interest to the physio and OT departments across the district. And really what we were looking for is really getting a good understanding of whereabouts departments or educators had identified issues. So it was really a broad EOI, but it was just understanding where there was, and I think first of all was identifying where there are potential problems or issues that they've identified. So it might have been things with, we feel that in this cohort of patients, we weren't able to meet the expected time for intervention or amount of intervention, or it might have been in this cohort of patients, we're just finding that their outcomes aren't as good as they should be, or their access to care wasn't as timely as it should be. And then with that identification of a problem or an issue, there was also the understanding, well, is there another way that we could be doing it? And that's, I suppose, what we were really capturing in this is around a team of educators or a department or clinicians that could really look at that and think, well, there is something else that we could be doing. Potentially, we, you know, we have students, maybe we could look at a different way they might be working or maybe, you know, incorporating students into this wider team model might have some change or make some improvements. So going through that process, we'd identified six individual teams or services that were going to participate and they became our six case studies that we included into the research. And then the next step from that, which was probably the most crucial step in this whole process from definitely from, I think, health point of view, but I think also for university as well was around the partnership that was developed. And and I think from the very beginning, we set out to really make sure that that was a strong partnership 
between uh, between both and that's again to highlight the fact that we were we have both had our priorities and we were coming together to working out what was the best way that we could really understand the problem and then also design together a, a student model that was going to then achieve or, or help to achieve the priorities that we needed from each service. So making sure that students were having good learning opportunity, that they were having the exposure that they needed as part of their academic course, but then also that educators felt supported. There was a a positive impact had within that service, whether that was at an individual patient level or at a service level as well. And that process took some time. Planning and mapping out the placement and the outcomes was cyclical. And we also had the opportunity within that case study design that we could do that in individual cases. So we were going through every time we had a student placement, we would have the opportunity then to review and reflect the outcomes and then refine and then make changes as well, depending on the outcomes that we were finding from the placement, but then also if they were meeting what we were looking to do. And then I suppose that was phase three was obviously the, the implementation of that process. And again, having that constant review and that constant link back in together as a white as a as a smaller team and a focused team with the educators on the floor and and the support they were getting from the university but then also as a wider project team as well and and working how that was going through the cycles of the of the case studies I think that's really interesting and and how you were nimble enough to you know nudge the, your your research and change things as you go on and and it does remind me of you know kind of like years ago at the beginning of my research journey I was very much a quantitative psychologist and everything was all preordained and you couldn't move away from that protocol and it's very difficult in some ways for some people who are in that space to get their heads around the fact that in this kind of research you can be so responsive so I wanted to make that comment but also I'm really impressed um you know that it's very rare for health professions and education research to look at the the so what you know for patient care and to get to that very top of um the Kirkpatrick's hierarchy but you you looked at this so do you want to tell me a bit more about the patient care outcomes and and I, and you, you've highlighted this, Lynn. It's important to, that we didn't frame this as a randomised controlled trial. It was a feasibility study. We didn't set out to establish causal relationships. But looking at what is possible, and I think the key to it is what is possible when there's a partnership co-design approach to these service-focused placements. We collected qualitative data and quantitative data. The qualitative data was from our participants, our students, our clinical educators, our managers, our multidisciplinary team members. And that was at various stages through the, the case study iterations. For example, the students, after every placement block in one of the service redesign case studies, we interviewed them. For educators, Again, we did the same. So that's where that iterative process of being able to build on what we learned and make adapt- adaptations. But the, the outcome measure aspect of it, we also looked at what was best practice. What did the guidelines say is best practice? And then looked at, well, what outcome measures would we need to and indicators would we need to collect to be able to demonstrate whether we're meeting them or not? And we looked at data 
and these were these were outcome measures or data that was routinely collected by the health service organisation. For example, length of stay, discharge destination. We also had some audit data, which the students were able to help us collect. I'll give you an example. In our first case, case one, the case study was around patients who had had hip fracture, surgery for hip fracture. And best practice for for that cohort of patients said that they should be mobilising daily from day one post-surgery. And when when the service, they identified that as a problem. That it wasn't being that that guideline wasn't being met. That's when we looked at well, how could we collect routinely collect that data? Or there was a method in place already. So that's an example of where we were able to demonstrate. I think it was a fifty four percent increase in percentage of patients provided the opportunity to access daily their physiotherapy post surgery. So I think key to this is looking at what are the existing measures out there and data and then use that to to capture whether there's changes. Do you want to add anything to that, Tanya? Um, And I think from why it was so successful was that from the very beginning it was always related back to patient, from a health perspective anyway, patient outcomes. And at the end of the day we're clinicians and that's what we're here for and that will always speak to us in that we want to be doing the best um, job that we can. We want to be providing the best service to our patients. We want them to improve. From the beginning, you know, having having a project that's structured around that exact focus, then that's where we got, you know, our buy-in from our staff and from our clinicians to be involved in that. And then looking at the data, you know, the data Again, as Gillian highlighted, a lot of it was data that we already routinely collect in some capacity, which again makes the participating in a project like this, but then also in terms of sustainability, much you know, much more likely because you know the data collection isn't onerous, um, but it's also meaningful and it also relates directly back to to patient care and, and patient intervention as well. And I think it also gave us the from the flexibility to be kind of I think flipping our idea and maybe our more traditional way of thinking of clinical placements as well about you know, the priority, you know, has always been the students are here for learning. We need to provide them with the best, you know, opportunity and experiences and sometimes to the detriment of the clinician time or the actually the patient caseload where it was really around, well, the students are here and they're coming on board with you as a team to be able to be improving the outcomes of your service and the patients as well. So it was it was really kind of just changing the lens, I think, that we were looking at cl- the purpose of clinical placement through as well. And I think that really changed a lot around. And then we, we found that with educators going, well, okay, yep, I'm willing to take on more of this. It's, you know, if I can actually just be bringing them on board and becoming a team and they're working with me, well, then I don't have as much impact on my time. I'm not having to do extra additional tasks. You know, it it kind of had that flow on effect to going, well, maybe then I will take more students or I might take more students blocks because I actually need them on board to enable me to achieve these patient outcomes. And I guess that really does demonstrate 
uh, as you say in your article, you know, from burden to benefit. And, I, and I'm pretty sure knowing healthcare students as I do, that they probably found that a real bonus too. I mean, an educational, it's not a forced educational setup. It's an actual natural one that, that they can really make a difference. And, and that's obviously, you know, one of the key reasons why they go into this in the first place. I'm going to just shift a little bit and think, um, ask you to talk about the theoretical constructs. You know, what what kind of constructs did you use to make sense of your data? So, you know, how did you, what theories did you employ? I think we've talked a lot about this research being underpinned by the, the co-design, the partnership approach. So looking at our, our data, that, that co-design, looking at it had to be mutually beneficial. So looking at this, our, our data from the patient experience, the service delivery experience and, and healthcare outcomes was really important. And I think that was underpinned by that, that partnership co-design approach. And I should say that all our outcome measures were, and, and our, our research design, if you like, was, was underpinned by that partnership approach to the extent we often hear in previous research, if you like, that academics come in and research on health services. This was truly a let's do this together. It was a with. The outcome measures we came up with, we could come up with them as researchers at the university. It was driven by the clinicians identifying what best practice is, what the gaps are. So that's that ties in with that, I guess, that theoretical perspective around um, that co-design partnership work. The other educational perspective is when you look at the service-focused placements models that were developed. They were underpinned by a socio-cultural learning perspective. So where learning is social, participatory and situated in practice. So Love and Wenger's work there and others. And I think that's really important that, that learning through authentic participation um, in service delivery. And so then our models were, were influenced by that. Our students were, for example, I'll go to case one again, where the students were assigned a patient load from day one. The idea that we work together with our educator, we're here as a team, as Tanya said. I remember an educator talking about um, in one of the interviews as approaching this as we, me and the student, together we'll, we'll be with the patient. And that's quite a, a different way of approaching clinical education, And but it's well supported by um, sociocultural learning theory. And all I should say also that all our encounters with, with our students and, and patients are supervised by a practice, practicing educator. So the students aren't there left on their, their own to to, to do everything. So I think that the sociocultural learning theories underpinning our placement models. I guess the other aspect to, to touch on is our overarching research and the, the theoretical underpinnings of that. And we used activity theory, cultural historical activity theory or chat to help us understand the complexities of what's going on. So if we think what, what is, is chat, I look at it as taking a systems approach to really understanding the complexities between interacting activity systems. In our, for our research, that was the education activity system and the health service delivery, health service provider 
um, activity system. And they 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 interact. We've talked about that throughout this podcast, but to really understand what's going on. So we use that to frame our, our study, but also to understand our our data, if you like. An example of that, which Tanya talked about before, was when you think of activity theory, there's various elements that influence the activity of the, the system. And one is the rules of engagement. Previously, rules of engagement between the two activity systems was the universities get on the phone to the service providers and almost beg for placements when we when the universities are short. Whereas looking at it, this pro, uh, this approach sort of flipped that to say, okay, well, um, where what are your needs from a, like the university asking the the health services? Well, what are your needs? Where are your gaps? Where are your bottlenecks? And then how can we work together to address those? And then how can we integrate students to provide that service. So that's a, a different way of thinking. So that's how, I guess, the, the theories that um, we drew on. No, just just to Gillian's last comment then around the relationship between health and the university. And I think working in this way and setting up the project in this way has actually it improves that relation that working education relationship as well. And it moves on even just outside of you know the constraints of the project that you don't have that relationship of that sort of give take, you know, which it might have been viewed as before as it's actually Actually, well, this we we are we want to work with you in a partnership, and we are here to be supporting you know not only you know the the demand on placements, but it's also around well how are we supporting your staff as well. And I think especially for educators on the ground to have that opportunity for that connection and that working relationship with um, university continues on in that in that working relationship around that mutual development and support as well as we move forward out of the project and you know continuing on in taking students and 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 developing the models like these in the future thanks tanya it really is interesting the way that you you've really embodied this co-design approach and and it's very impressive i'm going to change a bit of tack now I'm just going to talk a little bit about your publication and, you know, I'm actually quite interested in publication strategies and and this has been published in Advances in Health Sciences Education. Why choose this particular journal? I think we chose this journal uh, because it's a well-respected Q1 journal. Importantly, it has a wide readership across um, various health professions disciplines and that was really important to us to be able to publish research involving allied health in a well-respected health professions education uh, journal this was our um our first that was the first journal we submitted this to so we were really pleased to (laughs) have it accepted after just one revision and I think that was a minor revision and it was really quick I should say well, I think obviously that's testament to the to the research and the quality that you've delivered that research in. So, I, I mean, as a, an editor myself, um, that's highly unusual. <laughs> and also as a publisher, usually I'm, um, yeah, 
on at least a revision or journal number three. (laughs) So so I think that's fantastic. Just to finish up, I think I'd really like to ask you, what's next for you, uh, Gillian and and Tanya? What's what's the next steps? I think going through this process and projects across different um, sites and different departments, I think has really given us the opportunity to show that we can look at look at our placements differently and we can, you know, we're, we can, we've got the ability to um, redesign them so they are achieving, you know, the, the focus points around patient care or service and, you know, kind of making sure that, you know, those three patients, our educators and our students are all, um, you know, achieving their needs. And I think what it has done um, around sustainability is really important as well is that it's it's nearly championing some of those key people across departments to actually then start to support other educators or other staff in their departments to be looking at things differently as well. And I think that's really important. But then from us as well is supporting that and continuing that that momentum with that we have gained with with reviewing our our student placements. I think that's really important. And then also, again, that strengthening of our relationship with the university around supporting and developing our educators. That's excellent, Tanya. And Gillian? And from a research perspective, we have two papers um, still to publish, one looking at student experience of this model and the other looking at the, the elements that brought about these positive impacts. So really unpacking that in a bit more detail. Where to from here, scaling this up, looking at maybe a different setting, looking at across the continuum from uh, the acute care hospital setting to um, the community setting in different environments like aged care, primary health care, other areas that um, other areas we're looking at to move from that feasibility study to more of a effectiveness efficacy. Um, study in that sort of implementation science translational research continuum and I think that just li- me listening to Tanya like it it just reinforced to me the 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 importance of that that partnership that collaboration and and how we come with a different perspective new knowledge a different knowledge and it's how we combined it and that was the beauty like from a, we'd go to meetings and those in health would say something, and we, I'd be sitting there going, "Ah, oh, I didn't even that didn't even occur to me." That's very exciting, and I really look forward to um, reading your next papers out of this study. So I've been here with um, Gillian Nisbet and Tanya Thompson, joint first authors of their paper, just published online in Advances in Health Science Education, from Burden to Benefit. A multi-site study of the impact of allied health work-based learning placements on patient care quality. And they've co-authored with Sue McAllister, Bernadette Brady, Lauren Christie, Matthew Jennings, Belinda Kenny, and Merrilee Penman. Thank you both. <laughs>